Has anything terrible ever happened to you? It's a simple question. Has your life sucked? Tell her the truth. There is no truth. Drag out our story. Maybe all we've done is make a girl cry. She's talking about what happened. That's huge. Over the last few weeks, I've seen and experienced a little bit of trauma in my own life. I've seen it in other people's lives. I've talked to people that have experienced trauma, and it's almost like this topic of trauma and trauma recovery and PTSD and all these things have been, this topic has just been thrown at me and put in my lap with a number of different stories that I need to share, that I need to talk about, and things a little bit of tips and some strategies for how you get over things because everybody goes through really, really difficult times and traumatic experiences and how you handle how you re, how you handle that uh, that experience, how you handle yourself after the fact, how you deal with your emotions, all those things are super, super, super important to uh, basic human life because like I said, we all experience these types of things. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. A lot of mental illness, comes from trauma and how the person handled the trauma, uh, especially some type of traumatic experience that happened during childhood. As you know, I have something called borderline personality disorder. And while I don't attribute my own diagnosis to uh, some type of trauma in my childhood, I do know that most people who have borderline personality disorder or other personality disorders tend to have experienced some type of severe trauma as a child during those critical child development stages. Possibly the biggest example of this is something called DID. It stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder. And a lot of people refer to that as Multiple Personality Disorder. So when, when I tell people that I have Borderline Personality Disorder, a lot of times people will hear that, and the first thing they jump to is, multiple personalities, which is which is not borderline at all. That's two completely different personality disorders. But DID, the one that most people think of when they think personality disorder, they think multiple personalities. DID is a perfect example of something that develops over time in response to trauma. It's the mind's response or reaction to some major, major severe trauma as a child usually. And, and what happens is you experience some major trauma and something called dissociation takes place where your mind, to protect itself from that traumatic experience, your mind will dissociate and pull itself away, which is why a lot of times you may not remember certain pieces of trauma because you're you're dissociating. So over time, as you develop DID, you end up with multiple different personalities that will... I guess, uh, handle that trauma. So for example, someone with DID that experienced uh, some form of child abuse may develop a what's called an alter or that second personality. And that second personality may be one of strength and one of 
confrontation and very defensive or, or very aggressive towards any type of threat or trauma that may come towards that person. So now, once you have that DID and you have that alter personality, now all of a sudden, any type of high stress that you experience, you'll essentially transition from who you really are into this other person that is supposed to defend who you are. So that's where the multiple personalities come in. And each alter has a unique identity and a unique uh, a unique personality and unique traits and characteristics. And they're all for specific purposes. So for example, like I said, uh, that strong one uh, for trauma to, to handle any type of stress. So when you, when you end up in a severely stressed out situation, that other personality comes out and is supposed to defend you essentially because nobody else was defending you as a child especially true if it's a if it's a parent that's abusing the child the child is supposed to look towards that parent for protection and obviously the parent wasn't there so the DID creates a separate personality that's going to defend that person because the one that was supposed to defend them mom or dad was actually the one causing them harm it's actually a super fascinating condition when you when you when you look at it but anyways our main topic today is not DID or those mental illnesses but I just wanted to mention that so that you at least have that in the back of your mind that that is a big part of what happens to someone who experiences trauma as a child a little later I'm actually going to be talking to someone who went through a traumatic experience as a child and how that experience affected her as she went through her her life and into her into her uh, high school and into her uh, into her twenties, how that traumatic experience affected her. So that's my guest later for today. So we'll be talking to her in a little bit. But before we get to that, I want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, another experience that I had over uh, over the last couple of weeks. So I was talking to this girl for a short period of time. And I, I think I talked to her for maybe three, four days and, and just, just texting and stuff. Never even got to a point of, of hanging out with her. And come to find out that in her previous relationship, which was about uh, maybe two to three, a two to three year relationship, so fairly serious uh, in, in, in that regard little long-term relationship that she had she'd been out of that relationship a couple months now and that relationship uh come to find out she was she was abused in uh, there's a lot of domestic violence type stuff uh, a lot of physical abuse things of that nature so you can count that up as a as some type of a, a traumatic experience because it's going to affect her her future relationships and I and I saw it real quick in our in our conversations when when we were talking because people that have been abused they start to have other issues in their lives especially in relationships with other people whether you were abused as a child or you were abused by a significant other as an adult or in, in her case as a young adult. She's only in her early 20s, so this uh, this abusive relationship started around, uh, around 18 years old. So 
as I would talk to her, she started making comments to me about how she saw red flags in me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. What what kind of... <laughs> What kind of red flags do you see in me? And she's like, well, you you remind me of my ex. And I thought about that and and I, I asked her I asked her why. I said, What what about me reminds you of that abusive relationship that you were recently in? And I waited and I waited for a response and I didn't get one. After about two days or so, she texts me back again and says, "You know what? I don't want to talk. You know what? I can't talk to you anymore, or whatever. I don't think it's a good idea that we talk anymore. Whatever, whatever phrasing she used, and that was that. So I never got an answer. Never found out what specifically I said or did that reminded her of that other guy." But I was thinking about it, and I was like, I guess I was kind of uh, bothered by that statement that I apparently appear to be, or there are red flags that signal to an abuse victim that I'm an abuser. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I realized that I'm, nev- I'm probably never going to figure out exactly what it was that I said that made her think that. But I have to realize that if she has been through that experience, she's, especially recently, she's only been out of that relationship a few months. So if she's been through that experience, she's going to see similarities in in really anybody. I mean, for example, she was with this guy for, I think she said it was three years. So she's with him three years. Let's say it's even only two years. So she's with him a significant period of time. He had to have been saying or doing something that kept her under control and brainwashed. That's how abusers control their victims. They have to keep them believing that that they're still in love. Pedophiles convince children that they love them and the sex act is out of love. It's disgusting, actually. But that's how they do it. That's how they control the victim is they convince them that it's out of love. So in this girl's case, very likely he was saying nice things to her at some point, and he obviously hooked her somewhere early on to get her uh, to like him and to be in a relationship with him in the very beginning. So whatever those nice, kind things were that he was doing to try to hook her, were probably similar to what I was doing to try to hook her and the things that I was saying in order to try to, to, to get her, you know? So for all I know, that's what she was referring to, which would be something that would happen to her when she gets with any guy. So really any guy on a certain level, if that's the case, is going to remind her of her past. So how do you think a person should overcome that type of trauma? If you've been in an abusive relationship and you find yourself doing that same thing when you try to start a new relationship with someone new, how do you overcome that trauma? What do you do? 
Well, number one, I think you have to recognize that there is no immediate fix to that that fear or paranoia. All right, when the relationship ended, you might have struggled with trying to get uh, trying to get away f- from um, what am I trying to say? Feelings that you wanted to stay with this person and that you now miss them. Even though this person was abusive, they still were a big part of you. So there's there's always going to be some attachment there, especially if you were with them for a period of time. It's not always easy to leave that person. So first. You have to get yourself to a state where you're glad that you left that person. Which I think this girl that I was talking to was already at that point because she she wasn't missing him. She got over him, but now it was to the point where she went too far into the paranoia. I think every guy is going to be like this now. You know, a lack of trust. A lack of understanding that 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 this new person like me for example i am not him it's like any it's just like any relationship that ends where if it ended on bad terms you're looking at every new person now and you're you're looking at them the same way that you looked at that other person for example you could have been cheated on that's something that i went through So your significant other cheats on you, and now when you try to get into new relationships, it's really, really difficult to trust these new people and to remember that this new person is not your ex. They're two completely different people. Your ex cheated on you for one set of reasons. Their personality, maybe they had other issues going on in their life that drove them to not be happy with one person, maybe that person will cheat on anybody that they're with. It has nothing to do with you. Same with the abuser. The physical abuser may have been abused, for example, may have been abused as a child. And that's all they know now. A lot of people who sexually abuse children were sexually abused as a child. It's super difficult to break that cycle, but you as the victim need to realize that you were not the reason that those bad things happened. Those bad things happened because of that other person's experiences and their personality and their emotions and their worldview and their how they look at a relationship. So because the abuse happened because of them, When you go into a new relationship, you're not taking that ex's traits and characteristics into the new relationship. You're only taking yourself, and you're taking your experiences. Maybe one of the experiences that you learned is that you're not going to put up with that again for two two years. I would hope that if you're an abuse victim, that when when you did get out of that situation... I would hope that you would not find yourself back in that same situation. If you were in an abusive relationship for two years and you finally got out, I would hope that anyone now in the future that puts hands on you is is just going to be done. You're not going to put up with that. I I would hope that that's that's where you're going to be. 
That paranoia is really hard to get over. Maybe it's just time. Maybe talking about it with people. But I think it's I think the main key is that it's it's just a matter of time that you have to get over it and you have to be self-aware of the fact that you are being paranoid or untrusting or that you're looking at every every guy now as this ex that you have. If you realize those things about yourself, self-awareness is one of the major 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 keys to to all facets of mental health. Self-awareness is super important in any situation when you talk about mental health. When I first was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and I didn't want to listen to that diagnosis and I didn't want to believe that I had it, that's when my life continued to spiral out of control downward. Once I became self-aware and self-accepting of who I was and what that meant about me and how I was going to handle things, now I'm to a point where a lot of things that I do, yeah, it still comes out sometimes, but if someone doesn't know that I have borderline personality disorder, which actually most people in my life don't know that, they won't even see anything wrong with me because I've I've gotten so good at hiding that and keeping it in check and trying to function as a normal person as much as I can. That's not always easy. Like I said, sometimes it still comes out and it definitely still exists inside of me. But I know how to present myself and how to carry myself so that it doesn't have such a huge impact on everyone else around me. Before I was accepting of that diagnosis, before I was self-aware that that's what was going on, Absolutely, it was it was a major it was a major problem, a major spiraling out of control. Self awareness is such a huge key to anything related to mental health. So I got one more thing that I kind of need to get off my chest before a quick break, and then I'm gonna talk to Amy. So I need you guys to be careful when you're driving and watch for motorcycles. All right, so as you know, if you listened last week, I went on a a trip out to Utah and was riding motorcycles with some of my friends that I always ride with. And I witnessed one of my good friends get in a pretty bad accident uh, coming down some some mountain curves uh, up up in the mountains of Utah. He had to be airlifted. He was flown by helicopter to St. George. And uh, he is going to recover, but he has some pretty uh, pretty significant injuries. Uh, he has a, a punctured lung, a ruptured spleen that was bleeding internally, uh, five broken ribs, a broken back, broken collarbone, broken shoulder blade, he was banged up pretty bad, but he he was wearing a helmet, and that helmet definitely saved his life. He's got probably six months of recovery before he even goes back to work, probably a, a, a year or more before he's like fully, fully recovered. So I need you to 
watch for motorcycles. It just it was traumatic for me to watch that accident. Uh, I can't I I can't get the image out of my mind. It was about a week ago. I still can't still can't get it out of my mind. When I got home, I parked my own motorcycle and uh, it's it's been parked ever since. I don't know when I'm gonna get back on it. I've seen the aftermath of a motorcycle crash, but I've I've never uh, I've never witnessed one happen right in front of me, especially one of my one of my friends. And then to top that off, because we were out in the middle of nowhere, we were sitting there on the side of the road for uh, I don't even know a good good thirty minutes waiting for medics after we called nine one one. It took forever for the fire department to get there. took a long time that was that was not fun there's there's nothing worse than seeing your your friend lay on the ground originally unconscious then we we were able to wake him up but then listening to him in pain trying to move trying to you know just just basically screaming in agony and you're standing there telling him you you're you're all right man you're all right just just relax just take a breath you're all right we got medics coming whatever trying to reassure him that he's okay and he's going to be fine when I don't really know that. That's that's difficult. That's really tough. And like I said, I, I've, I've parked my bike, and I don't know when I'm going to get back on it. If you ride a motorcycle, please, please, please be careful. Slow down. Wear a helmet. Pay attention. Shit happens so fast. So fast. It, it's it sucks it's not worth it for like i said for as badly as he was injured obviously could have been worse but as badly as he was injured now his his life is fucked up for the next at least six months depending on speed of his recovery it's only been a week so obviously it's hard to tell in the last week since he's been in the hospital because he's got that punctured lung he's and he can't breathe he's developing pneumonia he's got pleural effusions now and that's I mean that's all that's all major stuff that's going to keep him in the hospital for for a while. He can't breathe on his own. Yeah, it's it's not fun. So if you drive a car, please be careful and watch for motorcycles. And if you ride a motorcycle, please for the love of God wear a helmet and please please be careful. I know it's depressing. I know it's it sucks. It sucks to think about. It sucks to hear, but you know it fits in our our little topic of trauma. I haven't slept a normal night since that accident. Certainly not myself. I used to love motorcycles. Now now it's parked, and I I don't know when or if I'm gonna get back on it. I'm just kind of taken. You know myself. I'm I'm physically I'm fine. I wasn't in the accident, but. But mentally, it, it definitely screws with you. That image of him flying over the handlebars, replaying in my mind constantly. Yeah, not a not a not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. But on that note, um, I'm gonna take a short break because I need some water. 
So I'm going to take a real quick break. When we come back, my guest today has some valuable lessons and tips for you. She went through a rough time uh, as a child, and that affected her later in her life as she went through uh, as she went through young adult life. And then very recently, she went through another traumatic experience. But the message that she has for you is one that you need to hear. And you're not going to want to miss it. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind. Whether you're a first-time listener or if you've been with us since the very beginning, if you enjoy listening, please don't forget to subscribe and follow our podcast for all the latest updates. One of the easiest ways to do that is in the Apple iTunes store. Just search for Third Degree Mind. If you don't use iTunes, you can look us up at thirddegreemind.podbean.com and follow us on there. Also, don't forget to look us up on Facebook, Third Degree Mind, and like our page there. You can also message me through that Facebook page if you need to reach out or if you have some feedback. Third Degree Mind is still a new podcast, so I'm always looking for feedback from our growing audience. Thanks again for being a part of that community. Amy, welcome to Third Degree Mind. Thanks for being here today. I know you've been listening to the program for a little while, probably since the beginning, actually, as far as I am aware. Is that correct? That is very correct, yes. And you kind of reached out to me a little while ago because I know that you have been through some similar experiences or things that uh, maybe you saw some connections to some of the stuff that I talked about in the past that you wanted to share some of your own story, right? Right. Right. Um, the main topic, though, um, is one that's very, very hot, and it's the it's the whole bullying issue. Um, I have a couple friends who are in the high school age, and um, the school that um, they go to, um, as it's kind of looking with all the schools, is. Um, there's not a bullying issue. No one bullies here. And, you know, if it happens, they just kind of sweep it under the rug. And I kind of wanted to share my experience, how, you know, the same thing happened and how crucial it was. I mean, how it, it almost destroyed me, but how I kind of overcame it. And so, um, I guess I could just start with, um, when, um, I was nine, I got burned, and um, by not, by just being told just to sit on the couch, and my mom's going to go take a shower, and I just need to sit there the whole entire time. This happened at home? Yes. Well, being nine, um, I didn't, you know, I don't think any nine-year-old really listens, and I, of course, Sure. So... Um, I went down to my uh, friend's house and um, I told him, I said, hey, let's go build a campfire. And he's like, okay. And so um, I went I went back to my house and um, I got the gasoline and I got the matches and because that's how I thought that you're supposed to start one. <laughs> and so <laughs> throw gas on the, I, throw gas on the wood and then just light it. <laughs> and just light it. Yeah, that's how it starts. At nine and years so, old, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> 
my brother, he was in uh, Boy Scouts. And so I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Well, um, I wound up spilling gas um, all over myself. And um, my friend, um, he put he put gas on his stick and lit it. And he just started teasing me with it and playing around. And then all of a sudden, it just blew up all over me. Wow. And um, I, um, I tried to get the flames off. And I thought um, at nine, I'm like, if I roll around in the grass, I'm going to set the grass on fire. So I've got to get to water. And so um, I run inside by a gas stove and a gas heater. Oh, my still God. Still on fire. How they did not blow up is amazing. Um, and then I got a pitcher. I filled it, and I threw it on myself, and the flames went out. Okay. Um, and so I run in the house, and um, my mom sees flames under her door, and she runs out and sees how completely and utterly just destroyed I am. And she calls 911. How bad, how bad were your uh, burns? A very deep second and extreme, extremely deep third. Wow. And yeah, and there was a huge black, black bubble on the back of my leg and 911 came and I mean, like five minutes, paramedics were there and they, um, they had to airlift me. And so I get, I get airlifted to, um, the burn hospital. I'm in, I'm in ICU for three months. Wow. And yeah, and eight surgeries and So this just, pretty much covered your entire body. Yeah, yeah, except for my face and I mean, uh it's only amazingly it's only like 39-40%. And so Okay. Um but yeah, no, just in and out of the hospital for years and just it was just horrific. And so um through all that um they, I had to go to school there in the uh, in the uh, hospital because I I had to learn how to rewalk. I had to learn basically how 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 to do everything. Basically, like and, all your well, life skills that you already that you already you knew have, at nine, yeah. you have to relearn everything. Exactly, exactly. And so I finally got to a point where they were like, "Hey, guess what? You can go back to school." And I'm super excited because when I left. Before I got burned, I was the most popular girl in third grade. And so I'm like, okay, good. Everyone's going to, you know, be happy to see me. And that could not be further from the truth. Um, so how long were you away from your uh, from your normal school, like, before this happened? How, how long did you go before you came back to school? Um, I'd say about – because it happened in July – and so, um, I was in the hospital from July till like September. Okay. So you and missed, so you missed the beginning of the, the beginning of this, uh, you said it was third grade? Uh, yeah. So I just entered fourth grade. Okay. And, um, I wasn't even to the point where I could really do anything, but they decided to kind of let me socialize so that I could still have those skills and maybe sure. it being inside because I mean, I was still, I look like a mummy like okay. inside a wheelchair. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, and so they decided that it would, you know, let's kind of test the waters and send and send her home. But on the weekend I had to go back to the hospital. And so, um, I went back and, um, 
I learned at a very young age how people are very afraid of what is different. Sure. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so Especially I go back kids. in there. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I go back in there and nobody is excited to see me. Like they're just like in shock and all. And I can't really blame them. So, um, you know, nobody really wanted to ask questions. They just, when I wanted to go sit by somebody, they didn't want to sit by me. And I could not understand why. And once, you know, lunchtime came, um, that's when everybody's like, we can't be friends anymore. And you're weird now. And it, I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking. And, and these were kids um, that you were friends with last year. Yeah, yeah. And all because my skin changed. Right. Basically. And so, um, fast forward through all that. Um, I went to the hospital, did the hours of uh, therapy, and, um, you know, I, I, I improved to a point to where I'm finally learning how to rewalk and you know I can actually go home for good and then just come back like every three months okay and so let's fast forward to junior high and um there it, it, it just the bullying just just it never like it never it never stopped and um you know I tried to you know socialize still and I tried to get into sports and everything like that and I mean, it, it, it just, it was bad. I mean, just picking on me for being burned and my looks and, you know, all because you look different. And it was, it was just, it was awful. And so, um, I, um, I tried to, I tried to, you know, kind of like reach out and figure out like, what can I possibly do to stop the bullying? And there's just nothing that, that you can do about it. And it's sad because just because you're different, that, that shouldn't matter. Right. Right. Exactly. Especially well, since this is obviously something that you didn't have control that, over. Exactly. And so, um, that continued and then go to high school and, um, that's at the point where I want to talk about now is that um, it got it got you know to the point to where now it's it's everyone in high school is focused on looks of course like you've got to be the best looking person there well um, I decided just you know not to wear shorts anymore to just strictly wear jeans every day and you know maybe that'll stop it and and it didn't it just it just it continued and um, I just now were most of the kids in in your high school the same kids as uh, middle yeah. school like you just you were still yeah. surrounded by the same kids exactly um, because I mean I, I mean because you go to school with first graders and those are the people that you're gonna graduate with okay like, they never leave right right so, right and so um, you know that didn't help and I got you know, I got called the most ugliest girl in school, and when people would pass by me, they would be like, oh, well, um, can I use uh, your uh, legs just so I can, you know, um, I'm going to 
I'm going to grill steaks later. And I was wondering if I could put them on wow. you. So that, you know, yeah, it's just stupid stuff. It's the most dumbest stuff, but. But at 14, um, 15 years old, you probably took all those things to heart and that's hard to get over. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I tried, uh, again, I tried, I tried sports and everything like that. And I tried making friends and it, it, it didn't work. I tried reaching out to the teachers and letting them know that they have a bullying problem and nobody wanted to recognize that. Like they didn't want that at the school. And so you go to everyone to reach out and try and stop this bullying problem and you can't stop it. And so, um, yeah. I finally just, I finally just got to the point to where I'm like, you know, maybe it's, and it's what we're dealing with now. I'm like, suicide seems to be the only answer. Right. Did you, did you yeah. experience a lot of, uh, cyberbullying type stuff? Like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not sure how old you are, but I don't know if like Facebook and stuff was around when you were in high school, stuff like that. Did you experience <laughs> stuff like that? Like on the internet? We had MySpace back then. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, was there MySpace? Was there MySpace bullying, or or not? Was it mostly um, just what was happening at school? It was cyberbullying to a point. Like they, everyone would check out my page, and they would pick on me at school about it. Okay. And um, okay. at that point, I really don't know if they really knew how to do that. Okay. Okay. And so, um, but. The bullying that was really hard for me was that I lived next door to the head to the head cheerleader. Okay. And so um, there was really no no escape for it. Like I would come home and the head cheerleader would of course throw all the parties and then I would get bullied even on my my own At turf. Home. And that's when yeah, and that's when I got to the point where I'm like, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to kill myself because there's just no escape. What when year? How old? Did, how old were you when you would say that you came was, to that conclusion? Fifteen, sixteen, sixteen. Yeah. So like yeah. sophomore, junior year, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. And when, when you live in like a town like let's say Houston, it's probably not as bad because it's too big for that. But when you live in a town where there's only one stoplight in the whole entire town, everybody um, knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody, and and news news is like a wildfire. Sure. And by the time it gets to the to the last person, it's probably not even the right thing that that it was in the first Absolutely. place. Absolutely. Right. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so, um, you know, I I came to my parents' bedroom and I said, "Hey, um, I'm dropping out of school as soon as I turn 17." And they're like, "No, you're not." And I'm like, "Yeah, I am." And um, and and so um, I told them, I said, I'm bullied at school. I'm bullied at the football games. I'm bullied in the front yard. And I just, I cannot, I've told the teachers and the, and the principals and they don't want to recognize it. And I said, I'm killing myself. And um, luckily my parents understood and, and they were like, okay, but you're going to get your GED online or you're going to get your, your high school diploma somehow but I'll let you go ahead and get out of that situation. So thank God that I had understanding parents. But um, So you ended up, you, you did end up uh, basically dropping out at 17 or whatever. Yeah. 
in order to avoid yeah. going down a suicidal path. Right. Okay. And so, and so through all that, um, I was able to escape that and, you know, um, I'm still, um, I was able to get my, my schooling done and everything else. And, um, you know, through all that, the, the more better side of it is, um, and I hope I'm not like contradicting myself, but I'm almost glad now, now that I'm, I'm, I'm 28. Um, I'm almost glad that I went through it just, just so that when I do see these problems or when I do hear about these kids who are having a bullying problem, I can, I mean, I, I know exactly what they're going through. Yeah, it allows you to relate relate with other people, and and I mean, you say you're glad you went through it, but I think what you mean probably is that uh, that that experience made you who you are today. Exactly, like um, because when I look back on it, I mean, I would change. I mean, I think everybody, if we could all go back to high school, I mean, I I'm sure that we would never do what we did the the first time, but. Um, you know, I, I just, um, I've had, you know, I, I've worked with kids and, um, you know, they've asked me what, what to do because they don't know what to do or, or how to escape it. And, you know, it's just having that confidence and knowing who, and knowing who you are and, 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 you know, knowing that if, um, someone says that you're the most ugliest girl in school, when, when you do wake up in the morning and you tell yourself, wow, I look good, or you put on your favorite outfit and it's like, I'm beautiful, stick with that all day long. You have and to have that's a, what I should have done in the first place. Yeah, you have to have a strong, a strong enduring personality that you, can, that you can convince yourself that you're not what they say and that no matter how many times someone says it, that you're just going to believe what you convinced yourself before you set foot out the door is basically what you're saying. Exactly. Right. Exactly okay. right. And, you know, and th- and that's why you know I'm um, it was a, a very painful experience. But when you grow up from it, 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 it's it's good to have those just to you just to be able to relate to those that are going through it in this like in in this time. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just I um I really hope that you know this helps someone know that. You know, it. You're not by yourself. There's always you know? there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly, because you can't go through, like you can't go through an underpass, a dark one, without there being a light on the other side. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do you think? Um, oh, let me rephrase that. Um, I know you said that you were you were going down kind of a suicidal path. Did you? How far down that path did you get before you before you got out? Um, I I mean, I without actually, getting into too much detail, did did you did you um, ever attempt suicide, or did you have like some type of plan planned out, or were you just kind of deciding in your mind that that you were going to have no other option? I did, I did to a point. Um, I got to the um, I don't know if it's it's cliche or not, but I got to the point of cutting my wrists. Okay. Okay. And, um, I, um, 
I did that, and I was actually, um, I got into this relationship, kind of. It, I don't know if it was quite there or not, but... This is still um, while you're in high school? Yes. Okay. And I met, um, I met, um, I, I met a guy at my church, and I was just so head over heels for him as I, all 16-year-olds tend to find an older guy who they're just so in love with. Well... I found one, and um, he saw it, and um, he was like, what are you doing? And I said, well, it's the only way to take the pain away. And um, he was like, um, no, that's just making it worse. I'm like, and, and, and so I'm like, no, it's not. And um, this was at the point where I, I, I was kind of rethinking suicide, and so, um, it's almost like that's where you were kind of at that crossroad where you made the decision to go one way and not the other. Right. And so, um, he told me, um, which he kind of saved me because I mean, I was just thinking about just cutting, um, just cutting a, a vein where it would, where I would just, I mean, I've heard that you, you could do it like that and I'm, sure. I'm sorry to say it, but um, and so that was my plan. And then he had told me if he saw another cut on my wrist that he was never, ever going to, uh, talk to me again. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, you're the only friend I have. And so, okay. um, and, and yeah. And so that's what, you know, that's what stopped me. And I'm like, uh, and, and so ever since then, you know, I, I, I never attempted it and, and, you know, um, I just, I was also, I had the thought in the back of my mind of what if I try and, and I didn't die? Like, what if I'm just in this horrible pain because I wasn't successful? Is it really, really worth it? Okay. And that's and I suppose I having, me. having been through your burn experience, maybe that was part of what made you think about that too. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And so, um, I told him, and so, and so I told myself and, um, I'm like, is it really, really worth it? And that's when I got to the point to, yeah, maybe, maybe suicide isn't the answer. And, you know, knowing that, um, because I reached out to a couple people and, um, I told them, you know, I'm thinking about it. And that's when I had found out that. Um, you know, people, people did, did love me and, and just how selfish it would be if I did it over a cup over letting people dictate who they say I am. Okay. So this guy kind of, this guy kind of helped you, uh, helped you to see, helped you to see that that was not going to be a wise decision essentially. Right. And okay. then, you know, I thought, I thought like, why am I letting other people's thoughts dictate how I live my life or how my life should go? And, um, you know, that's just, that's the main point that I want to get out is do not let other people dictate who, who, who you say you are because you know exactly who you are and, you know, other people's opinions shouldn't, shouldn't make you go to the point to where it's ending ending a precious life right absolutely especially now like you said you know at 28 years old now you've looked back on this whole experience and and i just i, I wrote it down because i remember you saying that you were glad that you went through it you know it's 
uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you're, I'm sure that you might have tried to do some things differently, but that's not the same as like, oh, I hate my life and I wish I had killed myself or whatever. Like, obviously, that's not the position that you're in. Like, you overcame right, all no. of that. And, and obviously, that you're the strong person you are now because of, you know, what you went through uh, in middle school and high school. Yeah. And then, you know, having, and then, you know, having my burns, it's, it's, it's a great reminder of if I can get through something that traumatic, then life is a breeze. I mean, there's nothing I can't do. If I can get through that, then, you know, I'm, I'm set. I'm good. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, I don't, I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but I know that since you, you and I have been trying to get this uh, set up because you wanted to talk about a lot of that uh, for a while. We've been talking for probably two or three months that we've been trying to set this up. And, and I know that during that time, you went through another really life-changing, traumatic experience. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? The passing of my boyfriend yeah. or... Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's that's um, another thing that I want to get out is just how precious, again, how precious life really is. And, um, you know, um, it started on, it was on Monday. Um, he, he was, he was perfectly fine. And he was also um, an officer. And um, uh, he took a crazy shift uh, as all officers know that we have. And, um, so, um, he decided to take that shift because he was going to apply to the, um, to the local PD there. And so, um, he, um, he took a shift that wasn't his normal one and he got home late. And, um, I told him, I said, you know, I don't think that you should take it because you're, you're, you're going to get home at two o'clock in the morning and you have to wake up at 7am. That's not a lot of sleep. And, you know, he said he could do it. So he did. Well, Tuesday he woke up, I called him and we talked his uh, entire shift and he sounded really, really out of it. But, you know, I figured, um, figured was he was tired or he was tired. Well, we talked all day long. His shift ended about six thirty, and, um, he told me that he would call me later in the night and we would talk some more that, you know, he was going to go home, take a shower and stuff like that. Well, he calls me, he calls me later and, um, you know, uh, he sounded, he sounded okay. So, you know, I thought that things were, you know, things were perfectly fine, that things were good. And, um, you know, um, we talked from about, 11 p.m. to about two o'clock in the morning and um he was really really stressed out and you know um I helped him to to get over that and I cheered him up well I was upset about something and he and he cheered me up and normal you know normal conversation being happy not thinking anything's gonna go wrong and um well towards about two o'clock in the morning he starts really really you know, just sounding, sounding really, really out of it. And, um, I, uh, I told him, I said, um, are you falling asleep on me? And, uh, he was like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. I'm just, I'm really, really tired. And I'm like, you know, okay, babe, um, why don't you, you, you know, 
you go to bed and I'll see you tomorrow. And um, all of a sudden it was silent. And I said, babe, babe. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, he just, he was really, really out of it. And okay. I said, you know, um, I love you. And he's like, I love you too, sweetheart. And I was like, okay, well, um, can't wait to see you tomorrow. Well, we get off the phone and go to bed. I wake up at about four o'clock in the morning and I feel like something's wrong. But, you know, I just, I thought that it was just me waking up. And so I go back to bed. I wake up, I go get the, the, the rental car for my parents because he lived about five hours away. Okay. And, um, I text him and I call him and I don't get an answer. And, um, on my way to his house is when I got a call saying that he passed away during the night. Wow. And, um, you know, I didn't like, I didn't want to, like, I, I just, I didn't want to just sit, think that it was real. I mean, I almost, I literally, I wanted to get on the phone and call him and be like, they're saying that you're not alive. Right. And, right. I mean, you just talked to that person on Tuesday and then the and even day, and even though you recognized you know that he wasn't quite himself it was kind of all attributed to just him being tired and it was kind of like right it was kind of like you know, okay you never this, thought that this, this was going to happen right right and you know i mean you know he sounded like that before and he's been he's been you know perfectly fine and you know i i told him i was like no it's not real it's not real it, it's it's and so, um, you know, I, I went through the funeral and, um, you know, I came home and all I, you know, all I wanted to do was just hear his voice just one last time or, you know, call him. And, um, because I mean, I, I got that reality room and everyone's heard it before where we've gone to a funeral and they've said, you know, always say, I love you because you, you never know when it's your last day. And we all hear how, you know, tomorrow's never, never promised, but when you feel it and when you experience it in that, in, in that, like in less than 24 hours, the person that you I don't want to say that you took for granted, but you took the time for granted knowing that, you know, tomorrow's same tomorrow. It's fine. Right. And, um, knowing that that life isn't here, it puts dark spot. And that's exactly where, where I went. And, um, you know, as I'm, um, as I'm sitting there, you know, at the funeral, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just thinking like, there's no hope now. Like, this is it. Like all my hope is gone. I more, um, and you know, after the funeral, I came home and, um, all I wanted to do was die because I knew that, you know, I'm a very religious person. So, um, you know, I believe that he's in heaven. And so I figured that if I died, you know, I'm with him. Sure. Well, then, you know, um, kind of like the, though, oh, go ahead. Something, um, something amazing happened. I had so many people come up 
and tell me thank you for loving him that more than anything. Like he was so, so happy that, um, you brought him out of, um, a dark, like a dark, dark place. And, you know, knowing that I had that big of an impact on him when I thought that it was all him who had the impact on me. Isn't that crazy how you, you learn so much about a person? When I was sitting by myself, yeah. And when I was sitting by myself, um, he always told me, uh, he, he was always afraid of, um, you know, something happening on the job. Sure. Um, and so, um, he always, you know, he always told me how he can walk through that door, but the, the ultimate, the walk back after your, your shift is done. Yeah. And, uh, so tell me, um, God forbid that that ever happened. He said, you know, um, I want you to know that you are strong and that you're a beautiful woman and that I want you to move on. And, um, he said, I want you to have a husband and I want your son, our son, you know, to have a dad. And, um, I said, well, um, I never have to worry about that because that's never going to happen. Right. And to know that this is exactly what's happening. It's the beautiful words. He said that he knows that, that. I think I lost you for a second. Anything and that I've got a, I've got a really, a really good head on my shoulders. Just sitting there, knowing that, and that he wanted me to be um, an officer. And you know, when um, when I was there, you know, I promised him. I was like, you know, I'll take the watch from here for you, babe. And so um, we truly have like. Big, big thing for us like we took it seriously um like you know any officer should but um looking back at it i went from how do i while while he was still alive um i was about to hours away and so me and my mom our relationship was zip we absolutely hated each other and unfortunately it sometimes takes someone dying for these beautiful magical moments to happen yeah it's sad when you think about it that way it is sad but it's 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 just i've gone from wanting a family His family is the most kindest people you will ever, ever meet. And, um, they, they, they constantly stay in touch with me. I, me and my mom are closer than we have ever been. And, um, I'm working on, um, getting into the academy and becoming an officer and all these things that he wanted me to do, you know. Even though he's gone, he he certainly 
he certainly impacted your life in in a number of ways it sounds like yeah yeah he did and it's funny how it takes that person being gone for for it to mean so much more sure. than yeah and so um you know just 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 knowing that i'm able to live his say his um his legacy out yeah yeah and so you know i i went from a dark spot to a dark place to not wanting to be in that place because i don't want his legacy to be in a dark spot i want it to be in a it's spot if that makes sense yeah absolutely and so yeah and so you know that even you know even going through that as much as it does hurt because it's an excruciating pain but think that when i do become an officer and you know raising my son and seeing and seeing his son grow up you know it, it, it's it's just it's one of those beautiful one of those beautiful moments that makes a precious life live on if that makes sense absolutely i think what's what's impressive to me amy is this is such a uh a recent story still this isn't like you're talking about this happened three years ago this is super super recent still and oh yeah how, how long ago did this happen um it happened last month yeah so we're talking we're talking a month away from we're talking about it, it only being a month a few weeks ago and already you're already looking to the positives that of your relationship that you had with him and you're looking at how you're going to move on and how you're going to grow and learn from it and how you're not just going to be in this uh, depressed mindset for the rest of your life. Obviously you were uh, for a period of time after this happened in the immediate aftermath, but it's, it's, it's amazing to me mm -hmm. and inspirational to me how, how you have taken a, a very bad situation, just like your story from earlier about uh, your childhood experiences with bullying you take an experience like that and you're you're already looking for the positive and i it makes me wonder if maybe your experience as a child and how you overcame that taught you so many life lessons about how you react to these types of situations obviously they're not similar situations but they teach you as a person how you're going to handle stress and how you're going to handle bad things when they come your way and how you're going to turn bad things into good things cuz you made the same you made the same comments about uh, the previous the the situation when you were being bullied about how you're going to take that experience on with you and that creates who you are. Right, right, and and I mean, it's like what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And I'm taking this like his death, and I want even though he is gone, I want him to live on forever. I want the world to know how great of a man he was and how his his whole legacy was knowing that people how loved they were and that no one was was uh, ever alone and no one should ever have to feel that way and I want people to know that um, people who are suffering a loss because I mean I mean it's hard I mean because um, I've gone into a store and I've heard a song that reminds me of him and I'll just bust out crying right there. I mean, it's really, really hard, 
But if you don't move on and you out that person's legacy, the world's never going to know how great of a person they were and how strong of a person you find out that you really, really are. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's, that's the best thing that you can hearing a loss is to share that person's life and just spread it. And that's exactly what, you know, I'm going to do for him. And yeah, I mean, I, I've always wanted to be an officer and, um, my ultimate dream is to be a canine handler because I just think it's the most amazing, awesome job in like the whole world. Okay. <laughs> or so it looks. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly what, you know, I'm going to do for him. Yeah. I think, and, I think, I think know, that's I, excellent. I, yeah. And you know, I, I'm, uh, I know that, you know, he would have been, um, and out tips on how to be a better one. Like, this is what you do in this situation. This is what you do in that situation. And, um, you know, oh, oh, we would always watch live PD together and okay. it'd be like, and, like, we love that show. Right. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it's a good show. I've seen it once or twice. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. And, um, you know, um, he would always teach me on, I mean, even moments in there. And so I'm going to take everything that he's taught me and I'm going to take it and run with it. And, you know, I um, I just, I don't want to be in, in that dark spot because I know that that is not what he would want for me. And you, and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm finding out how strong I really, really am. And, you know, that's, I'm finding that's out how my... strong you really are. I think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I am. Um, I was um, I was talking to a friend the other day and um, they were like, you know, if I was burned, I would like I don't know if I would want to go through life. And and it's like, no, because, you know, people have tattoos. My tattoo is my burn scars. Sure. You know, Absolutely. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, like my body and like is an ultimate storybook almost. Right, and so, right. you know, I, I just, I'm so glad that I have all of this to change someone's life, you know, and to let other people know that, you know, even though all of these bad things happen, you, you, you can take all that and use it as fuel to, to just get up and make your life just the most beautiful thing and the most happiest thing that it can be because what doesn't kill you does make you stronger and it makes you into a better person. You take the bad things and you turn them into beautiful things because, you know, it, it, it just don't let the bad things keep you from having that life that right. you want. Right. Absolutely. Amy, thank you for talking to me. I appreciate talking to you so much. And I hope that I you, enjoyed it. I hope that you continue to move through life with that same positive attitude that you have. I can even hear in your voice, like I said, this is only a month ago that we're talking about, but I can even hear in your voice that it's like, 
you you could tell that you've already made the decision to to grow and move on from it and and be a better and stronger person because of of what you went through and so i appreciate you sharing your story with everybody thank you so much you're very very welcome thank you for allowing me to share it i hope it helps someone absolutely thanks for listening to third degree mind we'll be right back don't go away Third Degree Mind was created in February of 2018, and during that short time that we've been around, our audience continuously grows at an alarming rate. In just the first four months, Third Degree Mind is consistently listened to in 20 states and four different countries around the world. One thing that's important to me is always bringing relevant content, and I think one of the best ways to do that is by sharing other people's stories and perspectives rather than just my own. That's why I'm trying to build a guest list and feature different people on the podcast to share their own experiences and struggles, and just to discuss some of the topics so that you guys can all get more than just my perspective on some of these difficult topics. If you would like to be a guest on Third Degree Mind, it's as easy as a phone call or a Skype call. Send me a message on Facebook or email borderline750 at gmail.com and we can discuss some options. I'd love to talk to you. Welcome back to Third Degree Mind. We're talking about trauma, trauma recovery, how these bad experiences affect someone. What an amazing story that uh, that we just heard from from Amy. And the resonating message that I never want you to forget is what she said at the end. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Take the bad things, turn them into beautiful things. Don't let the bad things keep you from having the life that you want such such a, a simple statement but so much so much meaning especially when it comes from someone who has been through as much as uh, as much as she has that experience as a child being being very badly burned and then going through school as a as a child and a, and a young adult being bullied having to deal with that having to overcome all of that and then just very recently losing someone unexpectedly someone very very close to her and yet even though that only happened a month ago you hear the positivity in her voice and that's i've listened to the recording of that interview a few times and and she's she's such a positive person and that's that that's that's a message of inspiration to me just her positivity alone and i i hope that that was beneficial to you to listen to that also Anyways, I have one more story that I'd, I'd like to share with you, and this one is something that's uh, something that I experienced uh, uh, about two weeks ago. That's just kind of been sticking in my mind uh, ever since then. One of the things that I get to do is I get to go and uh, speak with with young adults and uh, young adults and, and, and teenagers about some of their some of their mental health issues and some of their emotional issues that they might be having and, and, I, and I get to interact with them and hear some of their stories and, and, and that's a really that's a really good experience for me. I like I like doing that because I like interacting with with younger people. Well, I, I had the opportunity about two weeks ago to talk to, Someone significantly younger than uh, what I who I normally uh, talk to, and so this little girl was eight years old, 
and the staff at this uh, at this facility came up to me and was like, "Hey, would you mind just uh, just just talking to this this girl for a second? And, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure. What, what's what's going on?" And they said, "Well, she's she's eight years old, and she's she's very very traumatized. She's been through a lot in just her her very short life, and and she's she's very upset right now, and, and she'd like to talk to you. She'd like to talk to you." And I said, "Okay." And I, and I asked before I went over there. I asked what what about this girl? What has she been through that uh, that has traumatized her at, at eight years old? What exactly has she gone through, or what, or what can you tell me? And the staff said, well, about a year ago, uh, she witnessed her father murder her 14-year-old brother. This happened right in front of her. And that's not even the worst part of this, though, because what happened next is he, they, the parents kept the 14-year-old's uh, body in this little girl's bedroom for the next uh, about a week, week and a half. And she slept next to his dead body for the next, you know, 10 days or whatever it was, one to two weeks. So talk about trauma. At eight years old, this girl has already experienced death of a loved one. And then I can't even imagine the trauma of, of seeing his deceased body and, and, and sleeping next to him for the next week and a half. That's, that's, that's incredible. It's incredible to me that there are such sick people in this world. That's so disturbing. So anyways, this, this little girl is at this facility now because she has no other family. Her parents, thank God, are in jail now. Hopefully they stay there. But now this little girl at eight years old has to cope with some pretty powerful emotions and pretty extreme trauma. And so anyways, I go and talk to this girl for, I tried talking to her for about 45 minutes. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call her uh, Carla for this. It's not a real name, but that's what I'm going to call her for, for the sake of the story. And so I went over to her and I said, I, I just, like I said, I, just, I didn't even know what to say. She was just, she was very upset. So I kind of walked over and I just said, hey, Carla, what's going on today? And she said, uh, these people, talking about the staff at the facility, she said, these people, they're not helping me. And I want to kill myself. I had never heard an eight-year-old express a suicidal desire before. Most eight-year-olds don't even comprehend death, but she, at her young age, at least was able to comprehend that death is permanent. She saw, it's not that she was just an eight-year-old that was told, hey, your 14-year-old brother's gone now or whatever. She physically saw his body. I can't, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around, my head around that. She has to understand the, the, how permanent death is and that he is gone he's not going to move he's not going to talk he's not going to smile he's gone and she's like i i want to be gone too and so i asked her i i asked her why i said why do you 
It seems like a dumb question because obviously I knew the answer, but I asked her, I said, why, why do you want to kill yourself, Carla? Or why do you want to die, Carla? And she said, I don't know. And she was just very, like I said, very visibly upset. She, she couldn't sit still. She couldn't, she couldn't get the tears out of her eyes. She kept pacing around while we were trying to talk and Every now and then, some staff, she'd, she'd try to physically fight with one of the staff members that was just sitting in there also. And obviously, she's only eight years old, so she didn't really win that fight, but she would try. Physical confrontations during our conversation even, because she just she couldn't handle whatever emotions were going on inside of her. And she said that she just didn't know why she wanted to die, but she wanted to die, and nobody was helping her. So I said, um, <clears throat> I just started talking to her for, like I said, about 45 minutes, just about anything else besides that, and just trying to trying to make some type of connection with this little girl. And I, I you know, I was talking to her about what, what she likes to do, if she likes drawing, if she likes coloring, things like that. And I wasn't really getting anywhere with her and she wasn't very receptive to anything. So I think at one point, maybe about 20 minutes in, I, I stood up and I, I said, all right, Carla, well, I hope you have a better day. And I started walking away and she said, wait. And I turned back around and I said, what? And she said, well, you, I want to kill myself and nobody's helping me. And now you're going to walk away. I said, I don't, I said, Carla, I don't, I asked her multiple times throughout this conversation. I would say, Carla, why do you want to, why do you want to die? And I never got an answer. And I said, I don't know what you want me to do to help you. What what can I do to help you? And she'd say, I don't know. But I want to die. And I want help. And nobody's helping me. So I sat back down and tried talking to her again. And this went for another 15, 20 minutes or so. Now I'm at about 45 minutes that I've been there. And the staff is starting to wrap up our conversation for us. Like, okay, this isn't going anywhere. And, and obviously, you know, that's not my decision. That's that's the staff member's decision. So they start wrapping it up and they're like, okay, Carla, we're going we're gonna to go for a walk. And so I'm saying goodbye to her and I'm saying that I, I hope she has a good night and whatnot. And she said, I want to die. And I asked her for like the 15th time. I said, Carla, why do you want to die? And she looked at me. And I'm never going to forget this look on her face and the way that she answered. For the first time in 45 minutes, she told me why she wanted to die. She looked at me square in the eyes and said, because the world is filled with so much hate and I can't take it anymore. I teared up. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. That little girl at eight years old knows how much hate is in the world and there's nothing I can say or do or that anyone can say or do to to prove her wrong because as an adult we know the world is filled with hate and this little eight-year-old experienced so much hate and so much trauma from the very people that were supposed to be watching out for her best interest talk about fucked up and she left 
staff person took her away, and the, the staff members looked at me and said, well, thank you. And I said, I don't think I did anything. And they looked at me and they said, you did. And I left. And those are the types of stories that are going to stick with me forever. And I'm, I'm never going to forget that girl. Like I said, I'm never going to forget that look on her face. I'm never going to forget the sound of her voice when she looked at me and said that the world is filled with so much hate. And I can't take it anymore. I don't even know what to do for someone in that situation. I spent lots of time as a suicide crisis counselor on crisis hotlines. I've talked to lots of suicidal people. Some successfully, some not successfully. I've talked about mental health issues. I've talked about trauma. I've experienced some of my own things. My own experiences, my own knowledge, my own understanding of child development and child response to trauma. I don't even know what to do or what to say to this girl. And it's... It's so upsetting when you think about stories like this. It's so upsetting how disgusting the world is. It's so difficult to take a situation like that and make it into a positive. How do you do that? How do you make that situation into a positive? I was talking to one of my friends about that. I I told them this story and I said to them, I said, I don't know how I'm going to get over this. And I don't even, I'm not even the one that went through that situation. I have no idea how this eight-year-old girl is going to get through that. If she even will. I don't know. But me just hearing the story and interacting her with her for a short 45 minutes, I don't even know how I'm going to get past that experience for me. And my friend said, you might not. Because you'll always remember that situation. You'll always remember that girl. You'll always remember the story. You'll always remember that encounter with her. But that's what makes you who you are. And I thought about that and I was like, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that I've talked about on this program before. Your, your experiences, your collective experiences throughout your life are what make you who you are today. And that's what Amy and I talked about when I had her on the program a little bit ago. We talked about how you can't just go through experiences and tough trauma and tough experiences and and stress and say, well, that's it. Just give up. Life's over. It's not over. You take those experiences and like Amy said, you turn them into something beautiful. That story in me, that's always going to be with me. That's part of who I am now. That's part of my collective experiences that form me as a person. And that girl too. I hope to God that she gets past this. And that she becomes an amazing person. I'd love to have her be a motivational speaker someday. Or something like that and share her story with other people. And share how she overcame that. 
and moved on with her life. I would love for that to happen. That's a one in a million shot, but I would love for that to happen. And if it does, that experience that she went through as a child where she was forced to grow up very, very quickly and learn what death is and learn what evil is and hate and go through suicidal thoughts at eight years old. She will be a new person, and but that will be an experience that she'll carry with her forever, and that will make who she is. Like I said, if she becomes some motivational speaker, that will be because of her experience as a child. That's who she is now. That's how that works. That's how your bad experiences work. I had bad experiences as a teenager, bad experiences as a young adult, bad experiences in my marriage. All kinds of all kinds of shit. Everybody does. Everybody has those experiences in their past. And those experiences all add up to who you are right now, today. And you can make it good or you can make it bad. You can dwell on the negatives or you can do what Amy said and take those negatives and turn them into things of beauty. Don't let those bad things keep you from having the life that you want. As Amy said to us a little while ago. Don't let those bad things keep you from having the life that you want. So what life do you want? Figure that out. Be self-aware, like we talked about earlier in the program. You can make the life that you want. Take all those bad experiences, turn them into something good. Take something from everything, if that makes sense. Thank you for listening this week to Third Degree Mind. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure that you subscribe on the Apple iTunes Store. Follow us on Facebook all those things, reach out to me on Facebook, especially if you want to be featured on the program as a guest. I absolutely want to have more guests. I want more stories. I want more more, uh, more variety of experiences. I had Amy on today. I want to get another one on soon so that we can share some different experiences besides just my own boring life. If you need anything in the meantime, always, always, always reach out to me on Facebook or email borderline750 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and you have a great day. Hey, it's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that Third Degree Mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry. I am not a licensed therapist or physician, so if you feel that you need mental health treatment, please always seek that appropriate care in your area. If you're feeling actively suicidal, please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room. If you're in the U.S., you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at one 800 273-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org and once again they are available 24-7